Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude in over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. I'm super pumped to announce that we have continued on with our partnership with BioCult through 2022. Uh, BioCult is a phenomenal probiotic company. The Boosted product is the one that I most recommend. It is broad spectrum, great price point. And um, at the end of last year, I had kind of like a weird amount of people reach out to me to tell me how much they are loving BioCult. People literally wrote like multiple times, this probiotic has changed my life. So people are out there, the people have spoken and they are out there getting the good results. And that is something that I, as a clinician, is super important to me. I've had, you know, a lot of people ask me like, what do you think about this product? What do you think about this product? And Sometimes I look at products and I'm like, I think they have a really great marketing budget, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. But for me as a healthcare practitioner, I'm always like, cool, you're using a lot of like big fancy buzzwords, but like, does your product actually help people? That's the most important thing to me. So it delights me to hear that so many of you are benefiting from the BioCult boosted probiotic. If you haven't tried it before, head to the link in our show notes, use code FUNK15 to save 15% off of your probiotic purchase. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Today I'm excited because it's not a solo podcast. I'll I will be with I am with Rachel Mystery right now. Rachel is the function functional dietitian that um, works in my clinic. So she sees one-on-one clients. And, uh, if you join your hormone revival, you will also get, um, some one-on-one time with Rachel on that. So welcome to the show again. Thank you for having me. It's great to be back. I can't remember the exact episode, but Rachel's been on the show before talking about like cooking hacks and like making home Mm -hmm. cooking easier. Um, today though, we're going to talk about histamine. This is something that we're both seeing, an uptick in our practices. Um, and so we thought it would be a really great topic to bring to the show. And, um, I posted something on Instagram and so many questions came in about histamine. So obviously it's something that the audience is struggling with quite a bit. Um, and when Rachel and I sat down to look over the questions, we were like, okay, there's no way we can tackle all of these in a one hour episode. So we're going to kind of chunk it up 
uh, based on topic. One of, one of the biggest questions that we got was how do you figure out what's causing histamine intolerance? And both of us were like, yeah, that's kind of the million dollar question. So we're going to focus on one aspect of it today, which is the histamine and hormone link, um, because hormones can certainly influence histamine. So we'll kind of really like dive into that and, and unpack that quite a bit. Um, anything you else, else you want to say to kind of tee up what we're going to chat about? And I agree with you completely. There are so many uh, questions that can be generated when we start to think about histamines and there can be so many different root causes. Um, and that's something we can definitely dive into down the line. But again, today we'll be focusing on the hormonal link like you mentioned. And so, um, yeah, I'm excited to chat with you about that. I think there's so many rap histamine rabbit holes that we could go down. So we're going to try to hold ourselves accountable to actually doing this. I wish this is, this video is not going to be aired, but I kind of wish it was Rachel's in a robe. I <laughs> have makeup on from yesterday. I look like I've been on a bender, but really I just took too much melatonin and had nightmares all night, which is like the 37 year olds version of a bender maybe, but we, mm. we look really good. Um, I do want to say though, that a couple of announcements before we get in, we have an official start date uh, for your hormone revival. We run it twice a year. And the next time we're going to open up enrollment is March 1st. This program has always, every single time, sold out within 24 to 48 hours. We sold out in 24 hours last year. So make sure you get on the wait list. You can go to thefunctionalnutritionist.com forward slash YHR. I will link that up in the show notes. But um, March 1st is going to be the, the day that you got to sign up. And then... Uh, Rachel, um, the reason that Rachel works in the clinic with me, she's a graduate of the functional nutrition Academy, and, uh, we're going to open up another cohort of that March 7th. Uh, we're doing a pre-launch VIP access. You do have to apply and get on the wait list in order to access that. So you have to apply at functional nutrition academy.com. And, um, we will get you set up on the wait list if you are a good candidate for the program. So those are the two big announcements. So let's tuck into histamine. Um, and I think that we can tee it up by just, I'm going to give a, Rachel's going to go more into what histamines are, but I'll just give a brief intro, which is that they're chemical messengers that are typically associated with allergy type symptoms. So that was kind of the one, one of the questions that came in is like, can, can histamine reactions present beyond just like a rash. And yeah, they're typically associated with like the sneezy, runny nose, like itchy eyes, kind of like what you would think about for seasonal allergies, right? They are IgE mediated. So there's different ways the immune system can respond and react. And, um, so that's, that's all histamine for sure, but it really goes beyond just that there's, I think it's important to understand that histamine has a lot of other functionality beyond just responding to allergies. So it's important for digestion, building up stomach acid, neurotransmitters, obviously an immune response, blood pressure regulation, hormonal regulation, and histamine binds to receptors. There's four different types of histamine receptors, and they're kind of all over the body. So where histamine bind determines the effects that histamine has in the body, right? Wherever they're located. So smooth muscle tissue, uterine tissue, the brain, neurons, vascular cells, immune cells. Um, so it really, given this, it makes sense that histamine is going to have a lot of different types of effects throughout the body. And so Rachel, why don't we kind of start there? Tell us more about histamines and then also how histamine issues or histamine reactions might 
present themselves in ways that people might not be aware of. Absolutely. And, and like you mentioned, histamine reactions, oftentimes they manifest as the allergy type response, but sometimes they can also show up as headaches and migraines. And we'll chat about how these symptoms can kind of pop up throughout the menstrual cycle and that link there. Um, one of the biggest connections that a lot of us know about or are familiar with are the, the skin related symptoms. So the hives, the itching, the flushing, eczema can definitely pop up as well. And then, like you mentioned, it totally depends on where the histamine receptors are located. Um, sometimes have even heavy cramping around menstrual cycle and for some women around ovulation can uh, pop up simply because that histamine causes that uterine contraction. Um, in more severe cases, I've definitely seen histamine reactions show up as like acid reflux and even nausea for some people, um, even just like the sinus drainage, the postnasal drip congestion um, can also pop up as well. And the concept is the way that histamines and hormones uh, can be linked is estrogen triggers a histamine release from our ovaries and our uterus. And then histamines also trigger more estrogen release. So when we're looking at a female cycle, as our bodies are getting ready for ovulation, we start to see estrogen rise and estrogen basically reaches a peak that triggers ovulation. And then estrogen is essentially fluctuating throughout the month. That spike in estrogen right before ovulation is actually why a lot of women can have symptoms around ovulation. And then taking a look at the second half of our cycle, the luteal phase, traditionally progesterone rises for the first half and then it starts to slowly creep off. Depending on what a woman has going on with her hormones, whether she has estrogen excess or maybe not enough progesterone, she can feel worse during these two weeks at any given point in time. Maybe that's for the entire two weeks. Uh, many women start to feel worse the week before their period because that's when progesterone starts to fall off if there's estrogen excess or again, not enough progesterone, that's where we can start to see more of those histamine symptoms pop up during those periods of higher levels of estrogen. Um, it's also worth mentioning that in women who are not ovulating or in women who are going through periods of stress, we divert our production of progesterone to cortisol. So if we're not producing enough of progesterone, like our feel-good hormone, our anti-anxiety hormone, we are going to also be more prone to histamine flares because progesterone helps your estrogen levels stay healthy and normal. Um, this let's, is also let's, hold on. I want to just kind of call a couple attention, uh, you know, call attention to what you just said, because there are, if the overarching question is like, well, I think that the first question is, how do I know if I have histamine issues? And it's like all of those symptoms that we just talked about. I think some of the more surprising ones are, would be like eczema. I don't think people always recognize that there's a link between histamine and eczema. Um, the histamine really can come out of the skin. So anytime somebody comes to me with like, like skin stuff, I'm always thinking, okay, is there like a histamine component here? But the acid reflux is kind of like, I mean, I don't think, I think that would probably surprise a lot of people too. So yeah. that was a big list. So we're not, I also want to say like, just if somebody has acid reflux, it doesn't mean you have histamine mm -hmm. reactions, but if you were like, oh my gosh, I feel like she's describing me with that bucket, that cluster of symptoms, then we're probably dealing with uh, a histamine thing. The other thing I think that that 
that is surprising to people is, or potentially surprising to people is the connection between cyclical headaches and cyclical migraines people. I mean, you know, we both work a lot with women and that is something that we see all the time. If you do have headaches around that come cyclically or migraines that come cyclically, this is definitely a conversation that you want to want to pay attention to migraines and, and headaches can absolutely be a histamine reaction. It's that, um, the contraction, you know, that like the, you, uh, you were talking about like contraction of the, the uterine wall, right. Mm. But that can actually happen. It, it could happen. Um, you know, neurologically as well, we can see those symptoms present. So, um, it, I just want to call attention to that because it's such a huge thing that we see so frequently. Uh, mm-hmm. but the other point I want to talk about is this stress piece too, because I think that, you know, I've been podcasting for four and a half years now, and I've talked about stress so much and people are like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But like, just tell me what I can do. Like I've got all of these, I've got all of these issues. I've got all of these symptoms and like, yeah, I get stress is not ideal, but like what we're not fully wrapping our heads around is this idea that stress, emotional stress has real physiological consequences to the body. So whenever I'm talking about any type of hormones, we always have to recognize that there, there can be a stress component. And there are certain situations that can increase our histamine production, hormonal fluctuations, like Rachel's talking about is one of them, but ongoing extreme stress is another one, like issues with diet issues with lack of sleep issues with over-exercising. All of these things are adding stressors to our body. And that absolutely can influence our histamine production. This is why when, when we do a program, like your hormone revival, when we're working on women's hormones, we're addressing all of these foundational building blocks. You can't fix your hormones or fix your histamine intolerance without addressing these huge pieces as well. No, so. I, I agree completely with that as well. And that's where your hormone revival, it's great because you're laying the foundation for your adrenal health and cortisol health. And you build in tips for nervous system decompression and downregulation to help women's bodies feel safer so that ovulation can occur in the first place so that they can actually get production of progesterone as well. Um, Progesterone is such an unsung hero. I mean, Mm -hmm. we talk about it a lot, but it's not happening unless you're ovulating. Like to your point, your body has to feel safe enough to ovulate before you can produce progesterone and progesterone itself has inhibitory effects against histamine, essentially, you know, like you can kind of like, (laughs) that's like a way to phrase it. Right. So if you have low progesterone, estrogen might be more likely to stimulate histamine. So we have to be Mm -hmm. taking all of this into account. And when progesterone's low, which, you know, is a very common thing that we see when we're running Mm -hmm. hormone labs, we have to be like, but why is it low? Can we just back up a step in? So we're talking about, you know, you had said like kind of pay attention to if these things are happening at higher estrogen parts of your cycle, can you just kind of map out what a typical cycle looks like and where those high estrogen periods would be? Absolutely. So basically the thought process is during a typical cycle, um, you, of course you have your menstrual cycle regardless of, okay. If, if your menstrual cycle is lasting three days, five days, seven days, estrogen uh, is, it basically plateaus off. It starts pretty low at the beginning of your cycle, at the beginning of your period, 
And right around day 12, estrogen, it starts to creep up throughout the month, but right around day 12 is where we start to kick off that spike in estrogen. And that spike in estrogen stimulates the release of an egg. It stimulates ovulation. Once ovulation occurs, estrogen levels dip, and then progesterone is being produced after ovulation has occurred. We get another little surge, another little rise in estrogen after that ovulation window has occurred around day 16, day 17, it slowly starts to creep up again. And then as your menstrual cycle is approaching it, it tapers off. So I think of it as almost like you're gearing up for getting on a roller coaster, you dip off, and then there's another little hill right before your period starts again. Um, and so the concept is for women right around that window, that day 12 through day 16 window, that ovulation window is when they can start to experience that surge in histamine type symptoms. And then again, after ovulation, again, that week before their menstrual cycle, um, when progesterone might start to dip off. And so this is where paying attention to those clues. And, you know, we're not implying that all histamine related issues are related to hormones, but this is a great way that women and listeners can start to identify, oh, are my symptoms potentially linked to my hormones and linked to my cycle? And that's a great way to start to get more in tune with your body as well. For sure. Especially if they're having those symptoms that you outlined, um, at the start. Okay. So what are other ways that histamine might be linked up with hormones? So as far as the, the histamine hormone link, again, we're thinking about, okay, that ovulation window days 12 through 16, we're thinking about our luteal phase. That was two ish weeks before your menstrual cycle. And then, um, again, stress. So if a woman is under stress, if she is not ovulating, that stress can shut down progesterone production. It can shut down ovulation. And that's where some women, they might experience symptoms the two weeks before their menstrual cycle. For some women, it might just be those five to seven days before their period when progesterone starts to taper off and cut down. Um, also thinking about women who are not ovulating consistently, like women with PCOS, right? If their high testosterone levels uh, are shutting off ovulation, they're not going to be able to see the trends of the, maybe they might not be able to see the trends of the link between histamine and their symptoms as consistently, but if they're not producing progesterone, then they are going to be more prone to unchecked estrogen hanging out in the body and those histamine reactions as well. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And that's like a pretty large cohort of, of people mm -hmm. out there. Um, okay. Let's see. There's, it's kind of like the whole estrogen histamine thing is so, and I don't mean to like villainize estrogen because I think that that's really been done quite a bit. We need all of our hormones. One's not bad or good. Like we need them all. We just need them all in a balance. And that's a concept we've certainly talked about on the show before is like estrogen and progesterone kind of work in balance in conjunction with one another. And so estrogen isn't bad, but it can have, um, let's say negative effects in the body. If it's sort of left unchecked without an abundant production of progesterone, I think that's fair to say. So I, I want to preface this. So people aren't like, you know, damn estrogen, it's the worst, but there's this this funky link between like you kind of said at the start of the show where 
if you're producing more estrogen, it's going to kind of produce more histamine. It's like, it kind of like, it's a little bit like a cat chasing its tail. Is that the correct analogy where it's like more histamine can lead to more estrogen can lead to more histamine can lead to more estrogen, right? Like chicken or the egg, right? Or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> there's some, there's some like <laughs> metaphor or analogy out there. Exactly. I don't think we're nailing it, but it's, so it's, it's not as simple as, well, I mean, you kind of have to hit it from both directions, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, agree completely. So basically estrogen stimulates mast cells, which are a type of immune cell to release histamine. And at the same time, estrogen can downregulate a particular enzyme that clears histamine. And histamine stimulates the ovaries to make more estrogen. So this is kind of the cycle that I'm trying to describe where estrogen begets more histamine, begets estrogen, begets more histamine. And then at the same time, we were talking about how hormones need to be in balance with one another. Progesterone stabilizes those mast cells, those those immune cells that produce histamine. They get stabilized through appropriate progesterone production. Progesterone also upregulates that enzyme, that enzyme that helps to clear out histamine. And so in that way can have this effect where it helps to reduce histamine. So all of this kind of has to be working in conjunction with one another. Since we're talking about hormones and periods and stuff like this, I figured I would answer a question that's come in quite a bit about the Organifi gold powder. People are like, how do you use that? What's your favorite way to use that? And I personally like to mix it. It's, it is a gold powder. So it's like, it's like a golden milk powder. So it does have some um, coconut milk powder in it. So technically you could mix it with hot water, but I like to uh, mix it with coconut milk or some non-dairy milk, like almond milk. I, I like the taste of it a little bit better. And I serve it as a hot drink. And I love to do this around my period. So when I'm menstruating, because it has the turmeric, which helps to reduce inflammation. It has the lemon balm in it as well. I am a lemon balm fan and uh, an advocate for lemon balm. It's one of my favorite herbs. I love it in tea form. I love it in tincture form. I love it in my Organifi gold powder, and it's very soothing. It's a nerving, kind of helps to calm everything down. So that is honestly my one of my favorite ways to use the Organifi gold powder is as like a warming, soothing beverage at night. Um, we're just wrapping up a round of the carb compatibility project. And I know folks love to lean heavily on the Organifi powders as a sweet treat at night. So that is how I recommend it. You can check it out yourself heading to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I. Be sure to use code FUNK to save 20% off of your purchase. So Let's talk about um, ways to ways to address that. There's actually one thing that I thought was very interesting that I personally haven't seen this a lot um, in my own practice, but I thought it was an interesting thing to mention that um, there can be an uptick and it makes sense given what we're talking about, but there can be an uptick in asthma or like bronchial respiratory mm-hmm. symptoms um, like around the ovulatory or the pre-ovulatory and premenstrual phase, like those high estrogen phases, which like just kind of tracks with everything that we're saying. So that's like another thing for listeners to be like, oh my God, like I've never made that connection before. That's what we're trying to do. Like Rachel said, is like kind of stimulate some connections to be like, huh, is this actually a histamine thing? And could my hormones be at play here? Um, 
Okay. So like the next step is what do we do about it? Right. What are, what are some strategies to help with this? So first things first, uh, pay attention to your cycle and identify, is there a connection here? Is there a link here? Potentially, do you have symptoms that get worse after ovulation? Do you have symptoms that get worse around ovulation? And that's when we can start to just gather clues. And you and I are big fans of test. Don't guess. And like you mentioned, we don't want to just demonize estrogen because you might have healthy levels of estrogen. You might just not be ovulating, or you might not be producing robust amounts of progesterone at the same time. Maybe you are estrogen dominant, but that's where testing is so, so important. And if you're unsure, you know, test it, right? That's what we do in your hormone revival. We take a look at the Dutch test. Uh, the Dutch test for listeners, dried urine test for comprehensive hormones, which takes a look at your sex hormones. It takes a look at your adrenal hormones, your stress hormones to help us determine, okay, is there an adrenal stress piece contributing to this? Is there a sex hormone imbalance? Again, maybe estrogen, uh, too much estrogen or like a luteal phase defect, not enough progesterone being produced. Um, have you, I know that you and I have seen a lot of both of those conditions as well, but that's kind of the first step that I would suggest because a lot of women, I've seen a lot of patients where they're like, I've heard that dim is good for this. So they start taking dim, Oh yeah. you know, in reality, it's like, no, you have, you need your estrogen. Like don't pull it out of circulation. So um, that's where testing is really, really important. And then if we do find, or if you're suspicious of a histamine link to your hormones or a hormonal imbalance. Some women do feel better by following a lower histamine diet during that second half of their cycle. And that can be part of your, you know, sleuthing out, figuring out what is going on. Is there a histamine link between my symptoms? Maybe tinker with a low histamine diet and see if that moves the needle at all. So why don't we break down what high histamine, what's like a low histamine diet would remove high histamine foods. Sure. Um, the biggest source of histamines we can say are like fermented foods, aged foods, cultured foods, things like even, um, kimchi, sauerkraut, all these foods that we have known to be good for us can actually be fueling that histamine response. Things like um, aged cheeses or aged meats, so your charcuterie boards can be a big source of your histamines. And then also, of course, alcohol. Um, and then less common foods or less, uh, some foods that people don't know about that can be histamine triggers are also things like avocados and spinach and strawberries to a lesser extent. And again, these are very nutritious foods that our goal is to get you eating and consuming these in your diet. But Again, pay attention to your intake of these foods in the second half of your cycle and see if that helps. Yeah. Those are like the, they're known as the histamine liberators. So they're yeah. going to like, it's a sort of a different mechanism in the body. I always try to have people start with like the overt stuff. So I'll be like, how do you do with kombucha? How do you do when you drink wine? People are like, no, nah, I can't drink wine. I can't drink kombucha. I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. That's when I start to like, think it's a kind of like a little red flaggy for maybe we're dealing with some histamine stuff. So I think those are always like the first place that I start before, like just start to you know, pulling out tons and tons and tons of food. Exactly. Some people have to do that in my approach with a low histamine diet, like truly with any, any type of elimination diet or restrictive diet is 
I want to take this as short term as we can while we're working on some of the underlying reasons why you're overreacting to histamine or why your histamine bucket is, is so full, right? Like that's not, I don't, some people, like I said, do have to be uh, remove certain histamines long-term and some people at least in my experience, tell me if you found this is true. It's like, they almost have like a threshold for histamine through Mm -hmm. the, through diets, like where it's like, I can get away with like a little bit of this, but if I do too much, then I start to have a reaction. Exactly. And I've found that people's histamine thresholds or their histamine buckets fill up a little bit faster around ovulation or in that luteal phase of their cycle as well. And then something to think with, and I know that you and I think about this a lot is, you know, by putting somebody on a low histamine diet, we're not addressing the root cause. Why do they have that histamine imbalance in the first place? Again, whether that's imbalanced sex hormones, maybe that's, those are histamines being produced by bacteria in the gut, right? Maybe we do need to dive deeper, but like you mentioned, the diets are short-term for a healing phase. Yeah. There's a lot of like contributing factors to histamine to your point. And a lot of it is, can be gut GI derived. Um, so there it's, this is where it becomes a real slippery slope and why we're like, we're going to have to come back for part two, maybe part three for this conversation. So today we want to do, we want to focus on the, the specifically the hormonal piece, um, just because it's can be such a big one for so many people. So any other like pro tips on what to do, if this sounds, if somebody's like, this sounds like me, like, how can I, how can I figure this out? Yes. So again, start by tracking your cycle and then think about how can you potentially test your hormones, right? Um, Again, we use the Dutch test in practice. We use the Dutch test in your hormone revival, which helps us dive a little bit deeper into why a woman might be having estrogen excess or histamine overload as it relates to her cycle. Um, Again, thinking about potential causes like high stress, <laughs> um, right? That, that can be a big, big one. So focusing on stress management, addressing underlying sources of stress in the body, whether that's an inflammatory diet, food sensitivities, um, making sure that you're having a, a daily bowel movement is so, so key to just clearing and excreting estrogen from the body as well. And then at the same time, um, diving a little bit deeper, that's where, again, we dive deeper with Dutch testing, hormone testing, um, looking at, okay, how are your detoxification pathways working? How are you methylating? How are you activating your B vitamins and clearing your catecholamines from your body? Because the same enzymes that clear our stress hormones from our body also clear estrogen from our body. So That was a long list. <laughs> that was so let's unpack some of that because I, we are, I know we're talking, we're definitely talking to some practitioners in the show, but, but the entire audience is a practitioner. So that might be <laughs> over some people's head. Rachel's a smart Sorry. cookie. She just goes, she just goes for it. <laughs> um, so one thing that we see on the test on a Dutch test is not just how much estrogen or progesterone that you're producing. First of all, there's three different types of estrogen. So we see, are you, you know, how much of E1, E2, E3 are you producing? We're seeing the, the progesterone metabolites, but we're also seeing the ways that your body, specifically your liver will clear or metabolize estrogen. So there's you can think about estrogen metabolism or estrogen detoxification as a three-part process. The third part does happen at the level of the gut. You know, like with most things, we have to pull it through the liver, comes out of the bile, it goes into the poop, we poop it out, right? So that's why Rachel is saying you have to be 
pooping every single day to clear anything out of the body, including your hormones like estrogen. Really, really, really important. So we have to get you moving your bowels or everything's going to get backed up. Um, but the, there's two phases of estrogen metabolism in the liver. There's phase one and phase two. And we actually get to see these plotted out on the Dutch test, which gives us just a lot more information because it's not just about how many hormones are you making, but what is your body actually doing with them? What pathways are they going down? And so we can see, are they, are you favoring more of a protective pathway for estrogen or more of a reactive or a proliferative pathway? And all of this, we look at all of this in combination with your symptoms. So if somebody is having like super heavy bleeds or having those cyclical migraines or tender breasts, we're kind of like paying attention to like, all right, how much estrogen are you making? How is that estrogen? estrogen matched with progesterone production and how are they clearing estrogen out of the body? And does this make sense? Does this track with the symptoms that they're experiencing? And then there's certain things that we can do different tools in our tool bag that we can use. DIM might be one of them as, as, uh, Rachel pointed out, there's this, um, there's a supplement that called DIM that a lot of, it has a lot of like some good street cred for estrogen metabolism, but there's a lot of situations where you actually would not want to use DIM because like Rachel says, it actually pulls estrogen out of circulation. So if you're not making tons of estrogen, we don't want it just to go bye-bye. We need estrogen. You're going to feel like crap if you don't have enough estrogen. So we don't want to like yank it out of circulation. So that's where the Dutch test plotted out. We can really help to kind of like dial in and refine. And then the phase two is more of the methylation picture, which is what Rachel was talking about. So there's an enzyme, uh, shit, COMT, let, let's see, catechol-O-methyltransferase. Did I, I don't have it in front of me. Did I say it right? Yeah. It's COMT. <laughs> Nobody cares. Nobody cares anyway. And that requires methylation, which is just popping a methyl group on something. Our bodies do that all the time. If you think back to like chemistry class or like, OCHEM, like we are methylating champions We're methylating all the time. And some of us do not have a great ability to do that either. Just genetically, we, you know, genetic susceptibility, um, or we don't have the appropriate cofactors in order to methylate. So things would like that would be vitamins, like Rachel was talking about. Magnesium is another one that could really help with that methylation piece. What's interesting is that some folks who struggle with that methylation, that COMT piece, that enzyme is under-functioning. Um, we can see that on the Dutch test also struggle with a, another enzyme, HNMT, histamine and methyl transferase, which is the enzyme required to clear and metabolize histamine. So that's just like another link between estrogen. So we need the COMT estrogen to clear, or excuse me, the COMT enzyme to clear estrogen, but we need that histamine and methyl transferase to clear histamine. And they're both of them require methylation. And so if there's, if you're an under methylator, then you might have issues with both of these things. Is that thorough Great. enough? Do you think that's very thorough? That was much more eloquently put than I, than I did. Um, and also something to keep in mind that I totally forgot to mention also from like a, a basic standpoint, I know you've spoken about this so many times on your social media and on the podcast is evaluating, evaluating your home environment and your beauty product routine for endocrine disruptors, basically chemicals in your personal hygiene products that can mimic estrogen in the body that can interfere with your endocrine system function. And so that's a really good basic 
place to start or like, let's make sure we're addressing the low hanging fruit. Let's clean up your personal hygiene routine. Let's uh, make sure you're having a daily bowel movement. And then let's, like you said, maybe focus on methylation or adding in some magnesium, whatever that may be. It's a little bit different for everyone, but um, those are good, really good places to start. That's, that is, that's true. That's like a very important thing that I think gets like people are like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I don't think we give like enough credit to how impactful those changes can be. I mean, I had Laura Adler on the show talking about this. I've talked about endocrine disruptors before, but it's like kind of like the hill. It's one of my hills to die on is that like, you have to get fragrance, those scented candles, the Glade plugins, the dryer sheets, like they're fully blown, like toxic and they mess up your hormones. They, they absolutely do. And then they can kind of just contribute to, so, so I will see, and this might be getting a little too far off topic, but generally speaking, the folks that come to me with histamine stuff, histamine issues, histamine intolerance, their immune system is just kind of in general, like kicked up, you know, that's not a technical Mm -hmm. term, right. But they tend to be more reactive to things than the average bear. Right. And so we have to make sure that we're just reducing exposures to any type of, uh, potential, um, you know, toxins or antigens that just might flare up the immune response anyway. So that is absolutely like a a must, whether you've got hormonal issues, whether you have estrogen issues or whether you have histamine issues. So that's a really good point. And it brings up another point that you, you, you and I were discussing is this just like this overall nervous system support, this overall like Mm -hmm. down regulation of, of the nervous system, because typically speaking with somebody who hyper reacts to things that have like, has a big immune histamine response. Like we just kind of have to calm and soothe everything down. Do you, do you see that to be pretty true in your clients? Oh, 100%. And it's so crazy how just that decompression can get people sleeping better. It can get people having better bowel movements. It can get people just feeling more relaxed. And again, these are all things that contribute to hormonal health as well. Yeah. And there's some very like real data and real research on specific styles of meditation and how they help to kind of calm everything down, which is why I work so much of that into your hormone revival. There's a, we call them the Sunday sessions every Sunday that there's a live talk class with a different modality specifically designed to downregulate your nervous system, because no matter like the nervous system is like everything, right? So it's like nothing really works appropriately, obviously, if the nervous system doesn't work. So that's another thing to consider, I think, with, with somebody who, who does deal with the histamine issues. Okay. So can we talk about just to like give people some hope? Cause that like some people were like, is there any way of like really healing this? Can I like fix this? This is something that I would be dealing with for life. So let's talk about some real world case studies where you had somebody with histamine issues and based on some interventions, you saw some results. Absolutely. So I had one patient that I worked with. She had skin flares, eczema, pretty much covering her arms, her legs, her scalp all month long. She saw no relationship whatsoever between her rashes and her hormones. So that did cause us to dive deeper. Um, essentially what we saw is, okay, we, we took a look at her hormone disruptors. We took a look at her environment. Um, she did end up having mold in her home environment. We took a look at her gut health. We got her 
pooping daily. We cleaned up some bad bacteria that were producing histamines in her gut. Um, and that was, that's a lot. We did a lot of work. And now at this point in time, she's still having flares, but her flares and her symptoms are actually only popping up in that last week of her menstrual cycle and around ovulation. So she was extremely inflamed, like you had mentioned, just hyper reactive all month long. And now that we've done some work to reduce her histamines, we're diving a little bit more into that, that hormone piece with her as well. Um, she was even a patient, she would walk by a perfume store in the mall. This was, you know, a few years ago and she would get an immediate headache. And then later in the day, she would get a big uh, flare in her rashes as well. So she was hypersensitive, like you mentioned, but definitely we've got some work to do, but the fact that she is seeing improvements and able to now link it to her hormones, I think is great. Um, I had another patient actually. So she, second patient, patient two was noticing flares as it related to her cycle. We started working together. She had skin flares, eczema flares, um, migraines, and like runny nose, post-nasal drip that would flare up around ovulation. And the actually like from ovulation until her period, she was like two month, two weeks out of the month. She was not a happy camper. We tested her hormones and she had healthy levels of progesterone and estrogen. Things were looking like they were in check. Um, we looked at her methylation. We looked at her estrogen metabolism. Everything looked pretty darn good. And so we tested this through a Dutch test and the last page of the Dutch test, something that it looks at is your glutathione status. So glutathione is your body's master antioxidant. And then it also looked at oxidative stress, which is a risk factor for DNA damage, more serious conditions. And we saw some irregularities in those markers, which caused us to dig deeper, helping us realize, okay, that there was some toxicity likely linked to her symptoms. So she was experiencing these flares as it related to her cycle, just because that's when estrogen would naturally, again, be higher in her cycle, but it's not that she had too much estrogen. It's not that she had too little progesterone. Um, and it turns out this was, you know, this was a very long process, but she had her breast implants had ruptured. And we believe that she was having that breast implant illness, that toxicity, again, contributing to her histamine bucket, causing her histamine bucket to fill a little bit easier during those periods of her cycle when estrogen was higher or could be higher. Um, after she got her implants removed, you know, we did a whole detox support protocol, her symptoms are on the mend, things are trending in the right direction. So again, we've talked about this, it's not always hormones, but the interesting thing is this patient's flares around her cycle led us to dive deeper into some potential causes for those imbalances as well. Yeah, and that's a good point too. It's like, you know, hormones, We I, I typically say hormones are responding and reacting to other things going on. So we always, but we can use hormones as like the gauge on the car. We can use hormones as like the clue, like, Hey, something's off here. Like what needs to be addressed? What needs to be handled? And so that those are really great examples. I have an example of somebody who went through YHR, a huge, huge, huge histamine, huge histamine person. And, um, really by focusing on nervous system support, her, her symptoms were kind of like spread all out 
throughout the month, but by focusing on nervous system support, by focusing on clearing estrogen effectively methylation, those are like the three biggies. We did have to do a lot of like estrogen support. She's starting to see more good days. Like ovulation felt better. This was the first month where she's like, okay, I feel like myself, you know, I feel great. Um, for like the first time in a long time. So it's, we're not trying to make it seem as easy as like, Oh, fix your hormones and all the histamine reactions go away, but it is a part of the puzzle. And it can be a huge clue. And the, the reason that we love the Dutch test so much is because it, it gives us, um, you know, it really can sh- allow us to see like next steps or where the area of focus should be for each individual. Cause it's going to be different for everybody. So, um, Hopefully that was somewhat helpful. I know we kind of threw a lot at, at folks, but I think, you know, leaving this conversation, there can be more of an idea of like what to pay attention to, what parts of my cycle should I pay attention to? If I do have histamine issues, if I know I have histamine issues, or if I didn't know I had histamine issues, but I do have all of these like random weird symptoms that kind of correlate with a lot of what we've been talking about. Um, anything else that you want to add as before we sign off? I think you said it great. Um, and again, you know, a reminder, we're not implying that everyone has a hormonal imbalance who does have these histamine issues, right? There's so many, we could dive so deep into this. Um, there's so many potential causes, but we just wanted to help bring to everyone's attention that there can be a link between skin symptoms, histamine symptoms, and hormonal health as well. For sure. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show to chat with everybody. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you got something from today's show, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.